Thursday on the start, we enjoyed some Clayham. Global News Morning's Clay Young joined us with the city's plan to move into the next phase of a pilot project on reduced residential speed in a handful of Winnipeg neighborhoods. Big news for Winnipeg travelers United Airlines is bringing back direct, non stop flights to Chicago and Denver. It's Thursday, that means small town salute day, and on this day, we saluted Morden, the host of the Manitoba Scotties. We had a wonderful and inspiring chat with a University of Manitoba basketball star who tells us basketball saved her life. And inspired by something fun and nonsensical I stumbled on this morning on social media, we had some good times discussing our shared video game experiences. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling, we are Mackling and McGarry, and this is the Thursday, January 25th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. Before we get into anything else, I got to get something off my chest because I was quietly seething about this yesterday. Because on Monday, I guess, Tuesday, no, Tuesday, Tuesday, I get home, check my mail. There's a there's a note here from TD. I'm like, uh-oh, what did I do now? <laughs> so I open up this letter. The letters from the bank are often not good. Yeah. So I open up the, so here's what happened. At the beginning of the month, I was able to, I've been chipping away at my credit card, chipping away, chipping away, and I was Attaboy. able to drop a sizable chunk of change on the on the card to significantly reduce what i owe so it's almost gone so of course within a couple of weeks (laughs) Mm -hmm. you are pre-approved and we've talked about this we talked about this a few months back with uh kelly keen who we talked to about all things financial yes Uh, kellykeen.com is your website you are pre-approved for a credit limit increase of thirty five hundred dollars as our valued customer uh, you can we can upgrade your total credit limit to nineteen thousand dollars. Like, give me a break. So every time you make a, I make a uh, big contribution, it's like, oh, oh, we're gonna let's dangle the carrot in front of you, and we we don't want you paying this down. We want you to rack it back up and rack it up even higher. <laughs> well, we discussed this yesterday, uh, and I didn't know if you were going to use the actual dollar amount on the air. So I've been in my mind couching the question based on not using the number. But previous to this offer to raise your credit limit to $19,000, did you, in your wildest dreams or in any circumstance, need the amount of credit on your credit card? Did you need to limit that high in the first place? No. So why on earth do they feel that you would somehow, in some universe, require a credit card with a $19,000 limit. I have no idea. And the, this, the, unless, unless they had, they, they've gone through my credit history because once upon a time over 10 years ago, when I was engaged, we, my, my fiance and I were in over our head. We got a house that we could not afford and we racked up a, a line of credit over 20 grand. And we basically, we, we used the money that we made off of the sale of our house when our relationship ended to pay it off. We didn't actually quite pay it off. We had, it was like one more kick in the butt 
We had a, we, there, we were able to pay it down to three hundred dollars. No, <laughs> so I still had to pay yeah. th- another three hundred. You had bucks. to take your beer bottles back <laughs> to the vendor. Uh, so I was you just ranting about this to Loren yesterday. I just went into the newsroom and said, "Hey, just as a follow up to something we talked about. Yeah. Look at this. Look at this." And then Richard, you Clu- predicted you predicted this. Yeah, yep. I, I knew it was coming. And then Richard Cluche puts his hand up and says, "Actually." As it turns out, we're doing stuff on this tomorrow. So today on the news, Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, they're going to be looking at the predatory lending behaviors, how banks and companies on the loan business can get you. And uh, they're going to dive into things like the criminal interest rate regulations. So anyway, just it, it, we, I wanted to bring this to your attention that Rich and Julie are going to be looking into this. And uh, it's just weird that it happened to fall a day after I get this stupid note. No, I don't want to. Please stop tempting me. I've been fighting credit problems my whole life. In fact, if you could drop the limit on the card, that would be great. Yesterday, I canceled one of my streaming services. Oh, we were having did? this discussion. Yeah, well, I forgot to count in when we were having the discussion the fact that I have Sirius XM radio. Yeah. Have had for the better part of 20 years being a radio person. I like to hear how radio is done elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested in a variety of different points of view and topics. And so I make a very, I make very good use of my serious subscription. I use it every single day for, for some amount of time. And I've been paying the same amount roughly. I pay for an entire year. And have been negotiating that. It feels like a, it feels like a little bit of an act. Hi, this is Greg. Um, I'm going to cancel my subscription because uh, the renewal price that you're offering me is a little too high. Oh well, based on the fact that you're a loyal customer, Mister Mackling, the whole back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of a fake song and dance. Well, to my surprise, yesterday they did not kowtow to my demands to match the price that I've been paying the last four years. In fact, it was about 50% more. And they said, sorry, that's the best we can do. Really? I was shocked. So I said, well, I said, when is my subscription due to end? They said, February 1st. I said, well, please cancel it as of January 31st. And they went into the whole spiel again. I said, I'm going to stop you right there. This is nothing personal. I love the service. This is not between you and I. But I, you know, my life has become more expensive, not less expensive. And so the fact that you are offering me what you consider to be 50% off is actually a 50% increase for me based on what I've been paying over the last several years. So unfortunately, I will have to end our relationship. Oh, wow. And I suspected that they would come back one. No. Okay. That's fine. Mr. Mackling, you'll have a 37 cent credit. On your account. (laughs) And they even suggested they would send out a check in the amount of 37 cents in order to square away our relationship. But yeah, I was, I was a little disappointed. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised because this is how things are going. We know the price of things has gone up. I figured I was in the driver's seat for sure. Didn't happen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So I'm out. You're out. I'm out. You listen to Howard Stern all the time. I do. 
I, I don't know what I'm going to. Well, I know what I'll do. I'll find other things. But yeah, yeah I, was, I was, I was very surprised at the stance they took. Yeah, I'm shocked as well. I've been through those negotiations and the 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 the, the, the levels they would drop it down to. It's like, okay, how about five bucks? How about two dollars? How about twenty? How about two pence? Hey, I was gonna pay five. Why are you negotiating against yourself? Sure, I'll take two pence. <laughs> um, and hey, speaking in the, of being in the driver's seat, by the way, shout out to all the people who were like listener Eve, who was in a plow this morning. They're clearing the streets of all that slush uh, before it has a chance to freeze back up again. And uh, although it looked based on the forecast next week. That might be a while, but uh, yeah, it was a messy walk home yesterday, so that's good to see they're out there clearing the streets. I want to play a sound for you. You might recognize this. You might not. But this is from Wii Tennis. Nintendo Wii Tennis. So much fun. And 30 love. Well, Greg, why don't you, for those who, I think many of us will know what a Nintendo Wii is, but for those who don't, what made what made the Wii such a huge smash hit? Yeah, sort of revolutionary in the fact that it was interactive. The, the joystick, if you like, was handheld. You held it in one hand for the most part, and you could simulate different motions, including swinging a tennis racket. I have a Wii tennis racket. <laughs> You put the you put the remote in the tennis racket, and when I play tennis, I swing a tennis racket. When I play the baseball, I have a baseball bat. Put the wee thing in the baseball bat. Put the strap around your wrist. It's yeah. very important. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, people loved the Wii because it, it was getting you active. It was you weren't just exercising your thumbs; you were potentially exercising more than your thumbs, and it was as probably as close to doing the actual activity as you could get in in a video game situation. Yeah. How'd I do on that? Excellent. Okay. Yeah, the first time I tried Wii Boxing, I think I, I uh, pulled several muscles and, and sweat through all of my clothes. I was not anticipating a workout when my friend said, hey, I got this Wii, you want to come try it? But the reason we're talking about this is this morning as I was shaking off the cobwebs and just scrolling through social media, I stumbled upon this random post from, I've never heard of these guys. They're called the Johnson Brothers. They're content creators. And they they recreated the Wii Tennis, but in live action, like the four of them. And they were mimicking the movements of the game and so the good. way the guys would sway back and forth side by side. So if you look it up on social media, the Johnson Brothers, it's pretty funny. If you've ever played the game, I think you need to look this up. But because we were talking about the Wii and how much fun we had um, playing that, in a group setting or in a communal setting, we want to ask you about a group or shared video game experience that you've had at 204-780-6868, whether it was just with one person or perhaps it was like a Wii Sports kind of thing um, or maybe playing with random people at an arcade like I, for example, in 1989, I went, my parents took my sister and I to Florida to Disney World for Christmas. And we spent a fair chunk of, we were staying at Cocoa Beach and it wasn't too far from a place called Merritt Island. And they had this huge mall with a massive arcade and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was there. This was a game that did not exist in Canada yet. And I had $20. My parents gave me 20 bucks and I spent all of it 
on TMNT with three guys I'd never met. I don't think we got any, I don't think we, either of any of us gave each other our names, but we played this thing almost to the bitter end. How long? Like hours? A couple hours, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. cool. That sounds like fun. It was super fun. We almost, <laughs> but we couldn't beat the shredder. So tell Stupid us your story shredder. for a chance to win some tickets for the Fab Four. And why don't we start with Tyson Rewicki in for Cam on Sports? I, I will admit, Greg, I agree that when you're using that rack and we we sports, you look you feel a lot more like Roger Federer than when you're not using it, right? Absolutely. Like it's, I'm, start, I, I'm more a retired Andre Agassi <laughs> than I am Roger Federer, but I'm with you. Yeah. You got to you got to throw the headband on too. Of and, course. But uh, mine comes from me and my brothers. We would stay up all night playing NHL. Like we would just we would do a fantasy draft. We draft our own teams. And we would just like stay up till three, four in the morning playing NHL, playing like Stanley Cup finals. And we would always listen to music too. And most people would probably think that we're listening to like Guns N' Roses or like Metallica or something, something to get amped up for, for our games. But we exclusively, exclusively only listen to 90s R&B, <laughs> specifically Boys <laughs> to Men. We, we, the amount of times that I lost the Cup final with End of the Road in the background is it's, it's almost traumatizing at this point but it's just i i will those are some of the best memories that i have is just sitting in the basement with my brothers listening to some boys to bed and playing some nhl that's how we hockey yeah exactly that's how we hockey end of the road i was i thought maybe you'd say motown philly because at least that was that song was upbeat but end yeah. of the road is just so sad um Mackling, you've got a great Wii story. Oh, so, yeah, we, well, I got the Wii, uh, Jackie managed to get it for me, like, the year it came out. I think it was our, I think it was our first Christmas, maybe second. Sorry, Jax, if I can't remember. But uh, I, was, I was begging for this thing, and it was, like, to the point where you were buying them online, right? You couldn't get them in the store. She put them in the, put put it in a dish tub that you use for camping. I had no idea that's what I was getting. And so ultimately, we became a big deal. And then when my kids got a little bit older and started playing, they loved to play bowling against their Grammy, against my stepmom. <laughs> and they hated the fact that Grammy would always beat them at bowling. <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie's pretty good, used to be a pretty good five pin bowler back in her day in real life. And those skills transferred perfectly to the Wii. And the kids loved playing with her, they hated losing to her. <laughs> That's so Connecting cool. generations. Yeah. And I think they play Wii Bowling at my dad's uh, building now. I think my dad organizes Wii Bowling tournaments at the building that he lives in in Wolseley. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. fantastic. It's great. And Sarah, you got one? Yes, mine is also a Wii game. It was Mario Kart for me. That was my favorite. And uh, again, you have the steering wheel. It, it's so realistic. Um, but one time in uh, college, we all did like a bracket tournament. And so I was in the first round and up against my friend. And uh, we had Rainbow Road. So we were like assigned like a different track. And... Rainbow Road was one of my least favorite, and so I was out in the first round. But this was like a serious bracket. We had this like up on a big Bristol board on my friend's wall, and uh, it was pretty intense, but very fun. But uh, Mario Kart. Taking on Rainbow Road in the first, <laughs> the first round, round. That's that was criminal. just mean. It's it was criminal. just mean. Someone else had like the mushroom, like uh, or the mall, what, coconut mall. So easy. That one's so easy. And we had Rainbow Road. I was not victorious, but still love it. If you've never played a Mario Kart game, Rainbow Road is like the Hard. the hardest. Level. You're in the middle of space. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> then and you're then up in the air. I mean, it's cool and it's colorful and the road really is rainbows, but there's no barriers. Yeah. Like, there's nothing to bounce off of if you go over the edge. It's multidimensional. Up, yeah. down, yeah. and mm, yeah. yeah if, no, you go off the, if you go off the road, you're, you're out. Done. I was you're dead. Done. That stinks. <laughs> and what about you, Forte? Okay, so me and my buddies in high school... Just like Tyson, we were playing a little NHL, and uh, <laughs> so I, I suck. We were doing a tournament, so I was out. So I'm watching my two friends play. One buddy scores in the other, and this is towards the end of the game. He wins the Stanley Cup, and my one buddy got so mad, he whipped his controller, smacked the other guy right in the side of the oh, head, geez. a nice big goose egg. It's just like, dude, you got to relax, man. You got to take it easy. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he smashed his controller. No, I used to play just, with guys who used to go smashy, smashy, but on someone's head? That's yeah. that's crossed the line. Well, no, like he didn't mean to get him in the head. He just threw his <laughs> controller out of frustration and it just smacked my other buddy. Boom, right in the head. Still friends? Oh, yeah. Okay. 204-780-6868. Tell us your communal video game experience. Whether good or bad, I remember what was the arcade called at Kildonan Place? Was it Long John Silver's? We're Sounds going right. back like decades now. Yeah, I think now. so. There was one, I think, downtown, Long John Silver's, and at KP. Oh, or maybe at Grant Park and at KP. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, here is the boys to men. And well, anyway, I remember playing Mortal Kombat shortly after it came out, and I lost to this guy. He was playing as Sonya Blade, and when he beat me, and when it finish him. He he he, act, he did the move, and then he actually had the audacity to say, "The kiss of death," and I'm like, "Ah, I hate you! In I real, want to Mortal Kombat you for real in real life." Yeah, he did that. Yeah, he did that right beside me. Braggart, he's a braggart. So tell us your story for a chance to win tickets for the Fab Four. We'll pick a winner at nine fifteen. As we listen to the dulcet tones of Boys to Men, turn it up, Jeff. Turn it up. <laughs> It is Mackling and McGarry, in case you missed Sarah's top story. To kick off Global News at 7, United Airlines bringing back direct flights from Winnipeg to Chicago and Denver. Woohoo! That's huge. It is. Like, it, those are two of United's hubs. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there are worse things than having to fly through Minneapolis-St. Paul, which is, of course, what you've been needing to do uh, because Delta has not brought their direct service back to Chicago yet. So uh, this will be a great option for a lot of folks. You get to a bunch of different places more quickly. Chicago, obviously, a popular destination, and uh, Denver is as well, sort of the gateway to the West and the gateway to so many other things uh, through Chicago. So we will have more with the Winnipeg Airports Authority coming up just after 7.50. But right now we want to talk about how on Monday, January 29th, the city is moving to the next phase of its pilot project on reduced speed on three Winnipeg streets. 
Borkvale and Tyndall Park have been testing a 30-kilometer-hour zone, while Worthington and Richmond West have gone to 40K. So on the 29th, officials will share with the public what they've gathered so far for data, survey results, etc., through a week of engagement sessions. As part of this process, a citywide scientific survey provided insight into Winnipegers' feelings about speed limits. This pre-pilot research told us that at the time, 60% of Winnipegers wanted to keep residential speed speed limits the same and 40% wanted lower residential speed limits. Have our views changed? Global News Morning reporter Clay Young is in St. James with more on what's been learned so far and details on what's next. Good morning, Clay. Hey, how are you? Doing well. Where are you and who have you got with you? I'm on uh, Fleet Street just off Portage Avenue and uh, looking at uh, the morning rush, heavy traffic going down Portage. Greg Blantz is the uh, project manager with the city of Winnipeg. So tell us about this pilot project. Uh, how did it come about? Were there people in certain areas of the city complaining, like some motorists are going way too fast in our neighborhood? Yeah, there's certainly been some concerns from citizens and community groups and some councillors as well that just speeds in residential areas are too high. And so a couple of years ago, the Council Committee of Public Works asked the Transportation Division to come up with a pilot project to test lowering the speed limit in residential neighborhoods. And you did some studies, I understand. We were talking about this before we went to air, about just how fast some folks were going. What did you find? Yeah, so we collected speed data for the vehicles in the four neighborhoods where we lowered the speed limit to at 17 different locations. And we found the average speed on local streets before the pilot project started was around 36 kilometers per hour, so much lower than the 50 kilometer per hour speed limit. And now partway through the project, we, we checked in at those locations again to see if the speeds had changed once we lowered the speed limit to 30 or 40 kilometers per hour. And in those neighborhoods where we lowered the speed limit to 30 kilometers per hour, we found the speeds had actually dropped the average speed below 30 now to about 29 and a half kilometers per hour. And I, and I looked uh, at, you know, when I was doing some prep for this, uh, there were some surveys done. Is that correct? And there was actually some pushback. People, some people were saying, hey, man, you know, 30 kilometers an hour in my neighborhood, that's way too slow. Yeah, so this project started in March of 2023, and for the residents of the pilot neighborhoods, we did a a survey of them before the pilot started, and we checked back in with them again in fall, similar to the speed data. And so there are some concerns. There are people who have opinions on both sides, but what we're seeing is a kind of a shifting sentiment towards uh, consideration for lower speeds and a willingness to accept a slightly longer drive time uh, as a trade-off for having a a more livable neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're thinking about safety here, which is paramount. So next week, there's going to be public hearings. You don't have to uh, list all the locations. They can find them on the city website, but people will have input. Yeah, next week, there are four in-person events, one in each of the pilot neighborhoods. And you can find the information on the city website, winnipeg.ca slash reduce speed neighborhoods. And then it goes to a committee on City Hall and then winds its way through City Hall to Council, right? Yeah, that's right. So the next step in the project is to review the different options and make a recommendation to the Public Works Committee at City Hall. And then they'll consider that um, as a, for citywide implementation of a change or um, some other options that we present. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. So that's, uh, that's the situation here, uh, folks. Uh, Fleet and Portage, back to you. Thank you. As always, Clay Young, out in the middle of it all. 
uh, not creating chaos for a change, <laughs> just reporting on maybe less chaos on the streets of Winnipeg, Brett. And some interesting numbers as well. Uh, so the, it looks like they, according to some of the data here, the average person in the reduced speed, the, the zone that was reduced to 30 kilometers an hour, pre-pilot project, they were going 36 kilometers an hour. And once they added the 30, they dropped the speed. Uh, the average driver was doing 29 kilometers an hour. So they're already driving under 40. Uh, like I, I never in residential areas, I'll, I'll max out maybe at 40. Uh, if it's a, if it's a more, more of a thoroughfare or a regional street, like sure. say, uh, I'll just use Kildare, for example, yep. because that was the, it's in Transcona and that was the sort of the first main drag that I would hit. Uh, that's, you know, I have no problem doing 50. It's a wider street, yep. but, uh, on a, on a street, like even a Cinnaboyne in Westwood, no problem slowing down a little bit there, particularly because there are no sidewalks on that block. No sidewalks, no median. Uh, I know no median on Kildare, but uh, very few park cars on Kildare, if I remember correctly. There are some, I guess, in some sections. Yeah. Fewer in others. Is that, am I remembering that accurately? I don't use it a ton. No. No, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're a fair chunk of park cars, but there's lots of room. There's plenty of room for the parked cars. Yeah, in the conversation I had with Loren yesterday on this data, just the idea, you know, I've mentioned, you know, we live on a on a closed bay, um, but we do have a cut through from one section of our neighborhood to some businesses, and you can always tell the people who are not from the neighborhood or using it as a cut through, and they're the ones that push the limit. They're the ones that are going 50 or more down the down the kind of open stretch of our bay. And so uh, there's no recourse if they're going 50. It is time for our small town salute. And today we're heading south of Winnipeg to help celebrate one of the most anticipated events on the Manitoba sports calendar. Through the weekend, Morden will play host to the Manitoba Scotties, the Provincial Women's Curling Championships. Our guest this morning is host committee chair Ernie Epp. Ernie, good morning to you. Good morning to both of you as well. We appreciate you getting up bright and early, although you're probably at the the venue uh, at 5.30 this morning, I'm going to guess. Well, I got I got out of here a little almost that that time, so I uh, didn't get back there quite 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 that early. It's it's quite the week, but also the lead up is uh, quite intense. So congratulations uh, to you and your committee. I know what hard work it is. This is a tremendous event for any community fortunate enough to host it. How long has this year's event been in the works, Ernie? I think my first meeting with Curl Manitoba was uh, December of 2022, uh, just to get some background information and get the process started. We, we as an executive committee, started meeting oh, before summer. Um, it's just, uh, um, and then uh, we got the full group uh, going as far as, as uh, committee leads, et cetera, uh, around June and full-blown go-hard uh, from uh, early September till now. Now, volunteers are the heartbeat of events like this. How many volunteers are involved? We've got uh, just a little over 200 uh, volunteers, and that includes uh, those of us who've been uh, working on this since since middle of last year. Yeah, it's uh, 
you know, it's, we couldn't do it without, without volunteers and we couldn't do it without great volunteers. We've got, we've got a number of them. They, they, um, we, we uh, put a website up and asked people to sign up and within three weeks we had to shut it off because we had over 200 and we were, we were good to go. Yeah. More than such a terrific community. And, um, Spent some time down there with my boys uh, a couple of years ago in the Access Event Center. It's a fabulous facility. It's more than just an arena. I don't have to tell you that, Ernie. But for those that don't know, plenty to see in Morden and and so much to do under one roof. Tell us what else there is to do and see at the event center while you're there. Well, curling related, of course, that's going on. There's still another uh, sheet of ice that uh, hockey continues during the week. We've got uh, the world-renowned uh, largest mosasaur in uh, in uh, our Canadian Fossil Discovery Centre, which is also in our facility. Manitoba Baseball Hall of Fame is here, and uh, I've seen uh, a number of people in between games walking through there and, and checking that out. So, uh, and then we've got a couple of places that have some really good food right in the right in the centre. How many people are you anticipating will pay a visit to Morden over the coming days? Oh, well, I'd I'd love to see the uh, the stands c- completely full for uh, the playoffs over the weekend. Uh, I was chatting with the Hayward team from Carmen. That's the uh, under 18s uh, girls that uh, made it to the, the Scotties as well. Uh, th- Tuesday evening at the banquet, I said, you know, it would be so great if you were in the playoffs and we could get half a Carmen here on the weekend. And they said <laughs> half a Carmen's coming tomorrow morning for our first draw. Isn't that outstanding? That is great. What's the capacity there uh, for for the event, Ernie? You know, I don't even know the exact number, but uh, somewhere around a thousand. Um, I would expect uh, we can fit in here quite comfortably. Outstanding. Curl Manitoba, I know, has made arrangements. They've got a live stream uh, for featured games on YouTube. You can source that out. They did that up at East St. Paul last year. It was a gigantic hit. I don't know if you were up this way for the event last year, but it was really transformative in terms of how the arena and East St. Paul looked. And I can just imagine that, that things look similarly, maybe almost shocking to people that walk into the arena that are normally there for, for a hockey event. It certainly looks different. And yes, I was in East St. Paul. I uh, went up there with a few of us to have a look around and ask, uh, ask some, some questions to learn how they did uh, things and, and then I uh, came back and spent uh, a full day watching curling there too, just to observe and, and get a sense of, uh, of how to make sure we do things really well here. And for those who, who may be casually interested in curling or watch it occasionally on TV, uh, I've never seen a curling event live. I know that going to any sort of live event uh, can be a totally different and in many ways better experience. Uh, just what it, can you sort of, Describe, or are you excited for the excitement that will come out of this with all those people in the stands? Absolutely, it's it's uh, it's a, such a treat to uh, you know see these see these curlers. Some some who haven't maybe curled in front of an audience a whole lot. You know, they make a shot and they're thinking to themselves, "All right, I made it," and then the crowd erupts. And you know, the curling the curling community are uh, educated. They know how curling works, and they know what a good shot is. And and it's you know you never hear a boo in a curling arena. It's it's always uh, complimenting uh, the, the players that make these great shots. So so it's it's fun to watch. So many excellent curlers are also excellent golfers. How's your golf game, Ernie? Yeah, I'm avid. 
<laughs> Fantastic. You have one of the most beautiful golf courses anywhere on the prairies at Minnewasta. Give us a plug for that. Do you get out there at all? For sure. I'm in the, in the men's league and uh, try to get out there another couple times a week. Um, it is. I mean, we... Uh, I'm quasi retired doing doing consulting and uh you know what's one of the one of the big things for me that's keeping us here is that golf course it's uh, it's fantastic to play. Yeah and it's uh it's so unfortunate what happened with its beautiful clubhouse uh but I seem to recall that they were, they were making pretty good strides on on getting something new up there right? The new one is under construction. I think it's pretty well uh, closed in. Not sure what the timelines are uh, exactly for when it's going to be opening. Uh, it won't be for the start of the season, but it'd be nice if somewhere through uh, through 2024 we get to en- enjoy it. It's it's a whole glass front, uh, basically facing facing holes uh, nine and eighteen, which have a uh, joint green. So uh, it's a beautiful beautiful landscape. Ernie, thank you for this. Congratulations on what I know is going to be a tremendously successful event. I also know from experience last year, not having a ticket in advance was sometimes not the best idea. How can you make sure that you can get into the rink? So we've got a website, morden2024.ca. That's morden2024.ca. And there's a there's a word there that says tickets, and that will get you to the place where you can buy them in advance to make sure that you've got one. All right. Ernie Epp, host committee chair for the Scotties, the Manitoba Scotties, the Provincial Women's Curling Championships in Morden. Thank you very much for the time this morning. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Love to see you down here. Take care. All right. Morden. Love Morden. So much to do in that part of the province. It's unbelievable. If you've not been to Winkler Morden, it's sort of a metropolis down there. Two cities that are separated by like a mile, two miles. I'm not exactly sure the exact distance, but uh, our boys were down in the provincials uh, last year in Altona. We stayed in Winkler and the number of services and restaurants and things that you can do in that part of the province. It's, it's spectacular. It is Mackling and McGarry coming up after Global News at 8 o'clock. We're going to tell you about a huge under-18 female hockey tournament kicking off in Winnipeg today, which includes 16 teams from across the country. And in a moment, we're going to tell you more about the exciting news we learned from United Airlines as it pertains to Winnipeg today. But, Greg, just a quick reminder. uh, This is pertaining to our contest about... Video game shared experiences. What did Bob say? So we watch overhead for jet streams. And we try to guess from where the planes are coming and where they might be going to. Then we check flightradar24.com for the answer. Plenty of boring flights going east-west, but sometimes we get lucky and find the international flights, Anchorage to Chicago, Doha to Houston, etc. That's a cool way to connect with your kids, your grandkids, and use technology. Love it. Thanks, Bob. All right. So as we've heard this morning, amazing news for Winnipeg travelers today with the return of United Airlines flights to Chicago and Denver which that that news rolls out the red carpet for a world of travel possibilities. So joining us now is the manager of communications for the Winnipeg Airports Authority, Michelle Rosset. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. So, Michelle, how long has it been since we've had these routes? 
Well, these two routes to Chicago and Denver, United Service to Chicago and Denver, were put on pause uh, right around the start of the pandemic in 2020. So it's been four years since we we saw service to these two uh, very popular and well-connected cities. And it's something that the return of them has been something that's been high on our priority list for the last couple of years. So it's an exciting day to see the announcement that they will be returning in a couple months' time. Michelle, I I know that these are very popular with business travelers, but also casual travelers because these are major hubs, Denver and Chicago. And as Brett so eloquently put it, it it really rolls out the red carpet for a world of travel possibilities into these two centers. How badly have people been asking when, 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 how often? We've received a, a lot of questions over the years about these two cities. And as you mentioned, they're very popular hubs. They're United's two largest airport hubs. So even if you're not traveling to Chicago and Denver to visit those cities or do business in those cities, the connections available out of their airports really opens up a world of possibilities. And uh, we've been in close contact with United, uh, as mentioned, ever since they put the two routes on pause, just to, to, to tell them how badly needed these two routes are within our community and and what these two routes mean for our community. And really, that's why Winnipeg Airport Authority exists. It's, well, first and foremost, to connect to communities, but in turn, it meets the needs of all those who live and work across our region. So we know uh, service to Chicago and Denver will bring great benefits for those looking to travel uh, just for a vacation getaway, but those also looking to do business. Didn't Air Canada once upon a time also offer direct service or has it always just been uh, united out of those two? It's very likely, historically, other airlines served these two cities, but Chicago and Denver uh, have been primarily uh, served by United here in Winnipeg. And really, when you look at our community's connectivity today compared to before the pandemic, it's it's so much stronger. Now that service to Chicago and Denver is returning, uh, we'll have a, about six U.S. Uh, nonstop year-round destinations available, which is the most in the airport's history. So you'll have Chicago, Denver, L.A., Atlanta, Minneapolis, and Las Vegas, all available year-round. I know that uh, a lot of people, uh, as you mentioned, clamoring these fights, flights. Was it just a matter of United scaling up, re-getting their business up to where it was pre-pandemic in order for them to come back here? Because I hear from so many people, like, and from personal experience, those flights so often jam-packed. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into restarting one route, let alone two, but we remained in regular contact with United throughout the last few years. And it's no secret that the industry has faced some challenges uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. There were restrictions, there was a slowdown in just demand for travel, and then pilot shortages and supply chain shortages also affecting the industry. But uh, we've remained in close contact with our, our partners at United, and it's an exciting day to see them come back. All right, Michelle Rosé joining us live on 680 CJOB from the Winnipeg Airports Authority. We thank you for the time, and thanks for the heads up on this. No worries. Take care. And, yeah, I mean, I know so many people who have been to Chicago, and just just because they wanted to go to Chicago, and I would imagine part of the reason they went is because it was available as a, as a flight. Right? Like, what is it, hour and a half? Yeah, it's super quick. I, we've only been lucky enough, I think, to do it direct as a family once, and it was tremendous. 
I think we got direct there and then we had to stop in Minneapolis on the way back. And like I say, there are worse places to have to make a transfer mm. and to change flights in Minneapolis, whether it's an hour or five hours. My favorite airport bar, none anywhere. But yeah, to get to Chicago direct is such a huge time saver. And let's face it, uh, they call it a sec- the second city for a reason. If you've never been for a vacation, it's it's a great place to go. And my, I have a buddy who's a big Colorado Avalanche fan, so oh, I'm sure he'll yes. be excited to know I that. I know who, of whom you speak. One of my best friends is in Denver as well. Oh, yeah. So he's excited uh, that he'll be able to get here in one flight whenever he wants to do that. A massive under-18 hockey tournament kicking off today in Winnipeg. It features 16 teams from across Canada. It is the 11th annual Female World Sport School Challenge. It's a Hockey Canada-initiated event. It is hosted by the St. Mary's Academy Flames Prep Hockey Team and is taking place at the Hockey for All Centre through the next four days. To tell us all about it, we have two guests with us in studio. Larry Bumstead, head coach of the Flames Prep Team. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. And Hannah Arnold, a grade 11 student from St. Mary's who plays defense for the Flames. Good morning, <laughs> Hannah. Hi. Larry, this is a huge event. Can you just uh, give us an idea just how important and large it is? Well, yeah, it's very large. You know, the girls, uh, for like you said, from U to U18, uh, we have girls from um, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. Uh, they're coming here uh, this weekend to play in this event that has been put on by St. Mary's for the last 11 years. They get an opportunity to see uh, different teams. Uh, there's a number of uh, schools that come down to see them play um, from university and uh, NCAA as well as youth uh, sports. So it's a big event for them. A lot of these girls have been scouted already, either like um, Hannah's been playing on her team for a couple of years now. She's been scouted throughout uh, her career playing with us. So this is an opportunity to see them again, you know, say three or four months uh, now so they played like say in september we played in stony creek and now maybe the same coach that watched han in september or some players and other teams now they're coming to this event in january so they can see the progression of a girl's play not quite a combine but it, it can act as as such in terms of highlighting the the attributes and the and the skills of these players yeah for sure it's a stepping stone right it's uh, because you know every girl and what's unique about this facility um is that uh, they can watch uh, St. Mary's play Lloyd Minster for a period and a half, and then they can go watch, um, say, Westman and Eastman play uh, in the same rink, just walk across the hallway and that. So it's a really unique venue to scout. Uh, also, too, now, of course, everything's done, on, a lot of things are done online, live stream. So the girls, um, you know, they can go on, in, they go on Insta at the teams, they can watch it, they can break it down. They, you know, So everything is really... Um, excelled for girls hockey and as well as um, it's so so competitive that the girls um, they're they're in their A game for sure. And Arnold what does this tournament mean for you? Um, it's really exciting there's a lot of like exciting aspects of it and things we look forward to but I think one for sure is a banner game which is where we get to celebrate our seniors and some of them being like a few of my best friends. I think it's a really special moment where we get to celebrate all they've done and their accomplishments and let them know how excited we are for their future. We're just weeks away since the debut of the Professional Women's Hockey League. What kind of a deal is that for you to see that come to fruition? Yeah, I think that's so exciting, and that's like a huge turn in women's hockey, and I hope that 
continues on and goes somewhere and hopefully I can have a future goal of playing there after university hockey and see where that takes. University, that's your goal? Yeah, university and then hopefully in the future if I get a chance to play there, that would be a surreal moment where I would get to make that. But yeah, university is my goal for the moment. And Hannah, just from your perspective, is the overall culture, I mean, that's awesome that the the PWHL exists Mm -hmm. now, but the overall culture of hockey uh, for women and girls, is it improving? Yeah, I think it has improved a lot. Like even in my first year, I feel like from then to now, I feel like there's a huge support group and it's getting bigger. And with the PWHL, I think... You know, it's really turned, and I hope that that's going somewhere and getting bigger, and I think it's exciting. What about you, Larry? From your perspective, how's it been to watch the game grow for women and girls? Because I can remember talking about this tournament a decade ago and Sammy Joe Small and, and Jennifer Botterill coming to town as part of this event. These are icons now uh, for the game and, and for women and girls in our country. Yeah, every year um, you see the, see the girls um, improving the skill set. You know they got their they got uh, their individual trainers. They they do off ice training. They do on ice training. Um, you know it's uh, it's really unique to see how what girls were doing seven years ago, eight years ago, and see what they're doing now. It's just explode. The skill set is is uh, unbelievable. Do you have an arch rival in this tournament, Hannah? <laughs> you don't um, have to identify them if you don't want to. I would probably say <clears throat> RHA Winnipeg. Just as we've got like friends on that team that, you know, we've got friends, they've got friends and we're just always, that's the one team we in Winnipeg when we play them, that's our competitor and we're always wanting to win. They're always wanting to win. So I would say they are probably. Isn't that funny how like in any competitive environment, you'd think your enemies are the Mm -hmm. people you'd want to beat the most, but often it's your friends. Mm -hmm. Like I've got to beat this person. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's how it is. All right, so can, uh, can like, as a member of the public, can I go to this tournament, Larry? Yeah, you can. Uh, it starts uh, <clears throat> uh, today at noon. Um, <clears throat> the day passes are $5. Um, for the weekend, it's $20. Um, so there's, uh, like I said, there's 16 um, teams. It starts at noon, and then on Friday, it starts at 8 o'clock. The gold and bronze medal game is Sunday, um, and that's at 10 o'clock and at 11. Well, congratulations preemptively. This tournament, obviously, huge, huge success year after year. And Hannah, we wish you and your teammates all the best of luck, best thank of success so this weekend. Yeah, thank you. Joined in studio live by Larry Bumstead, head coach of the St. Mary's Academy Flames prep team, and Hannah Arnold, grade 11 student from St. Mary's who plays defense for the Flames. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. It is Mackling and McGarry, or at least McGarry. Mackling hasn't made his way back to the studio yet from our news meeting. But we want to quickly remind you before we bring on our next guest and tell you about the fun initiative they are leading. We have tickets up for grabs for the Fab Four playing at Club Region Event Center on June 7th. And we're asking you to tell us about a shared, a communal video game experience like Fabian and West Broadway. This was inspired. We were talking about Wii tennis, the Nintendo Wii tennis. And Fabian says, I had so much fun playing Wii with my kids. When I purchased the game, I had no idea I would beat my kids at one of the games, the ski jump. Since I worked 35 years on board the train, I developed a sense of balance 
that no one in the house has. So one day the kids had a party and everyone showed up. And while the kids are playing, I saw that it was a, a ski jump competition and I'd never seen that game. So I said to the group of kids, hey, let me try. Well, I beat them all. And my daughter was so mad that I was better than her. They never played that game after. <laughs> so Fabian says, I was so happy that I was good at at least one game. Oh, that Winter Olympics um, video game from Wii is fantastic. Yeah? It's got all the different characters. I'm trying to remember which characters they are. Uh, Winter Games, Wii. Uh, who are the? Oh, yeah, it's Mario and Sonic. And they're at the Olympic Winter Games in Vancouver. So there's a curling there's curling in it. Oh, man. There's ski jumping. There's luge. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other ones. Figure skating. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, geez. It's a ton of fun. We have that one. Yeah. Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Winter Games. All right. So we're going to pick a winner then at 9.15. Keep those stories coming at 204-780-6868. And why don't we just ask our, our guest here. Steven Sim is the artistic director of the Winnipeg Improv Festival. And they've got something cool uh, cook that they're cooking up starting for this weekend. But before that... You like video games, Steven? Oh, yeah, I like video games. Yeah. I like uh, this this new uh, Nintendo Wii sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> this newfangled Wii. <laughs> Steve, yeah, tell me about this new product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I think the last system I owned was a Nintendo 64. So, Sweet, classic. Yeah, so I'm a bit of a dinosaur. Got one in the basement. Do you? Yeah. I actually gave mine away. I gave one. Oh, I gave you know one. how much that's worth now? I gave it to one. Of, I gave it to one of my buddies because yeah. he he got his hands on some cartridges, oh, right. but he didn't have the ga- the the console. I'm like, right. well, you, you know what? You can have mine. I I I I don't have time for video games, and because I I'm a little I get I sort of fall into an obsessive rabbit hole, so I just don't play them. But you know better. You're here, yes, because now that award season is here, we want to tell you about this fun thing being put together by the Winnipeg Improv Festival and the Gas Station Art Center. It's the Improv season. So, Stephen, what is that? Well, we decided, look, the Improv Festival happens in October, and we do some great shows, we bring in some great people, and we thought, you know, it would be great if we produced some shows during the year and made, like, a real season. So, around once a month, we're going to be doing a show at the Gas Station Art Center, a fun improv show, and because it's award season, we're like, let's do a director's cut. Let's do uh, a, a bunch of different versions of a bunch of different shows or different movies. And have the audience vote for their favorite one. So like movies, like real movies? or No, no, not real movies. We, we make them up. So we, we, we pick four directors and they have an idea of like, oh, I've got a vision. of I want to do a sci-fi fantasy or I want to do a romantic comedy. And we get uh, inspiration from the audience. And each of those four directors uh, start improvising where they, they direct uh, the improvisers and they uh, improvise this uh, chapter one of their of their show of their movie, and then the audience votes for their favorite, and then we eliminate one, and then we go do chapter two of the next three, and then we eliminate one. So really, the audience is choosing what story we get to see the end of. Well, you were talking about the newfangled Wii video game in quotation <laughs> marks. What about that brand new TV show? Whose line is it anyway? Oh, that's uh, that's a new one. Have you seen? <laughs> Have you seen this show? I think it's twenty five years or so that it's been on the air. Oh, what do you think it's more? I think so. Yeah, it was but, like the nineties. The which, bottom line is how much. Yeah. Uh, did that TV show contribute to the popularity of not only people attending improv shows but the idea of people wanting to participate? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm. 
I've been improvising since before. Whose line is it anyway? So I'm dating myself there. I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm on the older side. Uh, and I remember doing improv shows, trying to tell people what it was, and you'd, you'd have to explain it. Uh, people thought improv, like uh, Evening at the Improv, and there was like a stand-up, there was a stand-up TV show. Um, and then we were doing shows, and then Whose Line Is It Anyway came out on TV, and then all of a sudden, uh, people knew what it was, and they were showing up at the shows. And it was just like a, a little mini explosion in the improv scene, because it, it educated the audience. And with this show that you're doing on Sunday, January 28th, the improv season hard launch, uh, the director's cut, the... So you say the director will give the improv performers like a, a chapter, but do they? So do they? They, they don't. The whole point is they don't know going in what they're doing, right? No, no, they don't know what what what, what they're doing going in. And the improvisers are, uh, you know, they like jump up to start doing the thing, and the, and the director can say like, uh, "Freeze! Uh, you know what? Um, actually, let's uh, recast that and let's get you out here." Or uh, no, 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 do that again, uh, except this time, uh, be happy. Or you know, we have no idea what's happening. And we're just like flying by the seat of our pants. But there's at least a director there to like have a vision. And there's four directors, four different stories. What's it like to have audiences back again? Oh, so good. Yeah. Like that, that, that sound of live laughter. Sure. Yeah, which you never get. But, but, <laughs> but you know, we, oh, trust me, we never get it. We don't get it anywhere. <laughs> but, uh, but like having that real, that audience energy and sure. that laughter, like hearing that first like live group of people laugh was just like, oh yeah, I remember this. So who's drawn to improv? Like I I know a lot of people who've done it to improve their own confidence, their own ability, even in the business world. Oh yeah. To be able to, you know, negotiate and to, and to, and to read. Yeah, exactly. So much. And so much of improv. I did a couple of classes years and years ago, similar situation where you had to explain to people what it was and they had no idea. Mm -hmm. So just the whole idea of listening like we do here. Yeah. I might be interviewing you, but I'm listening way more than I'm talking. Hopefully how much of it is give and take and how much of that give and take is actually giving to your partners and and the group you're working with. Well, you, you've nailed it. Obviously you've taken some classes because you, you're, you're, you're saying it right there. It's all about the communication. It's all about that give and take. And it's like active listening and uh, we do a lot of uh, classes as well. And just like you said, it's not just people wanting to be on a stage and uh, performing improv shows. It's people that want to be better communicators. They want to be better with people, um, especially after lockdown. There was a lot of people that were like, I forgot how to people. I, I, and they're taking the classes to like. <laughs> Did you say how to out. people? How to people. <laughs> direct quotes, direct quotes from people saying that. Um, and, uh, so we're getting, we're getting a lot of students right now, a lot of interest in learning how to do it too. And so the first half of the show, we actually have some improv students, a mix of improv students and improv, uh, uh pros in the club soda improv, uh, mixing. And I'm going to be directing the, f- the first half and just like a big jam show where I, where I direct them live in that first half. Well, and another thing that you point out as well, and our guest, by the way, is Stephen Sim, who is artistic director of the Winnipeg Improv Festival, uh, getting ready to launch their improv season on Sunday at Gas Station Arts Center, is that it's a it's a it's unique in that it's a performance that will only ever happen once. Yes, and that's what's kind of beautiful about it too. It's like you do it, and if it's a great show, you're like, "Damn, we're never going to do that again." And if it's a crappy show, you're like, "Well, thank goodness we never have to do that." Again. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's but it lives there for that one time, and everyone in that room, we we all we all get to experience it together, and no one else gets to. It's like it's it's there for then and only then. One more thing on the transferable skills before I let you wrap up with Brett here. Just I know you've worked with North Forge, yeah. the TEDx, yeah, and and coaching people who want to get their message across in an effective fashion. So maybe make that pitch because I love pitch day for, for North <laughs> yeah, Forge, yeah. but just to make that pitch for, for people to get involved just maybe in a different fashion or to reach out to you because I, I know you do great work in terms of helping folks oh, communicate well, better. Well, thank you. Uh, well, the improv company is the, the company that is the training center and we do, um, we're currently doing workshops um, we've got our winter session happening right now, all sold out, and we already have people uh, signing up for their spring session. And it is—it's about—it's about being a better public speaker. It's about being able to work in a team. It's about being able to collaborate and not have your blinders on with what your idea is or what your message is. But you have to be able to be open to that true collaboration of I'm listening to you, I'm hearing it, I'm getting that, and I'm putting it back to you. It's and, like real life zipper merging. <laughs> oh, if only people knew how to zipper merge. <laughs> oh my God. It's a good improv is a good conversation and a good conversation requires people to b- listen and be present. And that's, that's what I'm, that's what we teach. And that's what people do. Where can people go online to learn more info on your improv season? Uh, they can go to uh, winnipegimprov.com. Mm-hmm. They can go to uh, the improv company, uh, the improv co.com. Uh, those are websites, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> are, and, you and, and sure, Google it. I, are you making to, that up? Yeah, on the spot? I've got are you making that up on the spot? I have to make a website now. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you can probably go to Gas Station Arts Center as well, gsac.ca, for more details on the improv season. Stephen Sim, Artistic Director of the Winnipeg Improv Festival, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. It is Mackling and McGarry, and I have a song I want to introduce you to. Or perhaps reintroduce you to. When's the last time you heard I Think I Can Beat Mike Tyson by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince? I say, is this Will Smith? Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. But uh, we're asking you about a, a, a shared communal video game experience for a chance to win tickets to see the Fab Four and Dave, a.k.a. Star Wars Aholic, our runner-up today, Greg. When I was a teenager, says Dave, I was sick one day. My dad asked me if I wanted to rent a game. He was at the gas station. I said, sure. He listed off some of the games that were available and he mentioned Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And I said, oh yeah, bring that one. So being off for two straight days, I laid on the couch and mastered Punch-Out to the point where... I beat Mike Tyson, and Dave asserts that he beat him easily, which was not an easy task. He's right. In the first round, in the first 90 seconds of that game, if he hits you once, you're down. Uh, So he says, now that I've mastered the game, I went to Zeller's one day with my friend, and behold, they had Mike Tyson's punch out on display, and you could play it. But the Nintendo was in a glass case, so only the controllers are hanging out. So I started playing, and I was progressing through the game, and I noticed this small crowd of little kids behind me. And as I started getting further and further towards Tyson, there were like 15 kids watching me. And then I got to Mike Tyson, and having played it for two days straight, I knew exactly how to beat him. You have to wait for that flash and dodge and strike. 
Anyway, I knocked Mike Tyson out in round two, and all these little kids were cheering and patting me on the back. Then the game ends, and the credits start to roll, and the one thing about that game is after you finish it, you have to reset the console. Well, these kids start fighting over the controller after I was done, but none of them could actually play it because the machine was inside the glass and needed to be reset. I just walked away like a champ, feeling so proud. Good for you, Dave. It is. I have never beaten Mike Tyson in the second round and punch in that game. It's always the third round. If I beat him, usually he takes me out in the first ten seconds. But our winner today is George. And George, it, we we would have been felt really guilty not giving George the tickets because of his love of the Beatles. But this is just a great story. George says, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I played Beatles rock band with all of my family members, my daughters, my son-in-laws, and my mother was there one time. And we were one time we were doing the Beatles rock band. My mother challenged me to the singing part because I can't play the instruments because I am legally blind. So she's saying, listen, do you want to know a secret? And she hit that one note at 100%. Being a female, she was able to get her voice up a little bit higher. So being being able to do the Beatles rock band amazed me. So when I tried to sing the song, I came out around 90%, and she won. It was hilarious, but also good times. The Beatles rock band was one of the funnest games I was able to play without seeing the instruments or seeing the songs. Just being able to sing along, it was an amazing time. So George, that's a pretty neat story. Glad you had that experience. Enjoy the Fab Four at Club Region Event Center on June 7th. Tickets, by the way, go on sale today. You might still be able to get in on the pre-sale. I'm not sure if it ended at 10 p.m. or if it ends at 10 a.m. this morning, but the code was Liverpool. But right now, we want to talk about how sport has been a pretty common focus for us this morning on the starts. We have been to Morden to find out about the Provincial Women's Curling Championships in Morden. We have told you about a high-level annual girls hockey tournament being hosted by St. Mary's Academy. And in this segment, we want to combine sport with a topic we discuss whenever the opportunity arises, and that is mental wellness. Yeah, so Brett, last week we received an email with a subject line, how basketball saved her life. Well... We wanted to learn more, and we want to share that story with you now. Here to share her story is University of Manitoba Bison star Emily Mandeman. Emily, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing really well. Before we really get into this, uh, reading up on you, did I read correctly that there are times, there are days when you shoot 500 three-point shots in a day? Yeah, there was probably about um, a three-month stretch where it was 500 shots and 500 makes a day, um, three-pointers specifically, as that's my favorite thing to do. Well, it's translating. I think you have about a 44% shooting uh, percentage on your three points. So, you know, that stuck out, as did so much of your story, uh, resilience, honesty, vulnerability. So before we get started here, I want to thank you for being so open with your story and your path and uh, the, 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 the trials and tribulations that you've found along the way, along with your success. Uh, your love of basketball, let's start there. How did it start and how did you grow your skills? Was, was that a challenge? Yeah, it was definitely a challenge growing up in a First Nation reservation. Um, you know, honestly, I used to hate basketball. And when you, if I was about five or six and you asked me about the sport, I said I would never play it or pick it up just because my older sister played it all the time. 
Um, and she ended up kind of being my motherly figure growing up. And so I was always with her and following her to the gym and following her to practice and to the basketball court. And so I just ended up being around the sport so much where she ended up teaching me what she learned at basketball practice. And then, you know, I found myself in the basketball court and I was like, you know, I started to really like this and I'm starting to really find a positive outlet for myself and giving myself confidence and self-worth. And so basketball really helped me kind of create my own holistic idea of myself. Now, we also want to ask you about your college days, but before that, uh, and it's Brett here, by the way, Emily, you're from a, a First Nation in Northwest Ontario near Kenora. Many of us know it as Shoal Lake 39, but, um, and please forgive me for this. We're, part of what we do is we, we have to learn how to, we want to learn how to pronounce these names, but I've never seen this name and, and I will butcher it. So how would you say it? <laughs> I would say Iskate Wizagagan. Um translates to shallow water, kind of like Shoal Lake. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. I'm going to keep that piece of tape and practice that. But how on earth did you end up playing college basketball in Texas? <laughs> so my my career has taken me all over the place. I lived in Toronto. I've lived in Illinois, Kansas, um, Winnipeg. And, you know, I've kind of been everywhere. And so um, ever since I was younger, I watched um, basketball on my television at home. And so I remember being in the car one day talking to my dad and I said, dad, I'm going to leave home one day to play basketball. And I might've been 11 or 12 when I said this. Um, and so I've had crazy dreams ever since I was young. And so it's always my goal to play basketball in the States. Cause that's where I knew all the best players played and people travel all across the globe to go play basketball in America. And so I said, I want to be one of those players and I'm going to do whatever I can to do that. And so um, social media really helped get my name out there. And then I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to a school in Texas. And so um, it was pretty insane and surreal. I remember signing um, the contract for the scholarship, and it was insane. It was just, you know, thinking about all the things I've gone through and where I've been and how many people like me don't get opportunities like this. So I just kind of had to make the most of it. And then the follow-up question I have for you, Emily, is how? what brought you back to Manitoba? The culture of being around my own people and being around my family um, really drew me back home. I struggled a lot uh, being away in America with my mental health, um, kind of as always, has always been up and down. Um, and so, you know, dealing with injuries all the time, constantly back home and navigating my way by myself kind of in a whole country where I don't know many people. And so um, not having many supports that I did is back home. And so coming back home and being able to see my family in the crowd and then go attend ceremonies on the weekend, it's something I never really had before. Um, and so, you know, kind of incorporating my culture as well as sport and family in my life right now is kind of just coming full circle for me. And it's kind of helping translate on the basketball court as well. Well, we start off with that headline, how basketball saved my life. Talk about just those trials and, and tribulations and, and the opportunity is one thing being away is another. And then finding your way back to connecting with family and culture Talk about how, how basketball played this pivotal role, not only in success, but, but saving your life ultimately. Of course, like there's been many times, like on the First Nation Reservation, there's a lot of struggles with mental wellness, poverty, um, substance abuse and things like that. And so the household that I grew up in at a young age, there's a lot of different things going on. And I often found myself kind of lost and feeling all these emotions because as a young girl, I felt nobody would listen to what I had to say. Um, and so I actually found myself at the basketball court one night um, and that's kind of been my safe haven ever since then. Whenever I feel emotions or I can't understand what I'm feeling or I feel some type of way, I just go to the basketball court 
watch the ball go through the net, hear the ball dribble around. And, you know, it kind of brings me a sense of peace and brings me back to where I am because it lets me just really navigate what I'm feeling and kind of tie it back to the roots and understand it. And so um, being away from home, that's kind of been my safe haven. And that's really where the 500, uh, when I was in Texas, that's really where the 500 shots really came into play. It was every single night I was in the gym watching the ball go through the net, listening to the ball dribble. And so, you know, that's kind of where I picked up that habit. And it's kind of, like I said, it's been life saving. So here in Manitoba and in Ontario and Canada, we know we have our challenges in terms of truth and reconciliation and, and relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples in Canada. How did, how was it in the United States? Did you, did you face some, some challenges you didn't expect on that front? Definitely. I would say that, um, you know, America isn't as far along as Canada is with truth and reconciliation, even though we still have a long way to go. Um, a lot of people would not really acknowledge um, my identity and would often assume that I was either... Um, Spaniel, like I, I speak Spanish, or either they would call me um, an Indian, which is often I would tell them that that's not the term that we use and a respectful term, but it was kind of often, it is a different culture down in the States. And so kind of being able to be put in that spot um, with no supports was kind of hard for me and kind of navigating that as well. Um, very difficult. And so I'm glad that being home is a lot of people that support me in my, my traditional ways and my spiritual journey. Emily, one of the, the things you're quoted as saying in this story is everything makes sense when I have a basketball in my hand. On the court, I feel more confident than anywhere else. Has the confidence that you've gained on the basketball court translated to more confidence in your life off the court? Definitely. Like I said, basketball gave me a sense of identity. And as a young girl on the res, I didn't have any hope for my life. I didn't think that I was going to be successful or do certain things with my life and that I was capable of these things. Um, basketball has really been the vehicle for my whole life and um, it's taken me places I've never would have imagined I've gone or given me opportunities I never would have thought I'd had. Um, and so it's kind of helped me find a voice for myself and helped me find a voice for my people as well so we can I can share this message of how important sport is in our life and how important it is to chase our dreams. Wow, you just inspired me left, right, and center here, Emily. So thank you for that. I was reading an article from the U of M website, and I understand that one of your opportunities you couldn't take a full advantage of because of your academic standing. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) So, but now here you are and you're prepared. You're getting ready to graduate from the U of M, and not only are you graduating... But I understand you're going to be a member of the honor roll. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the plan. That's definitely the idea. Um, When I was down in Texas, I had the opportunity um, to be a part of the dean's list, which is something that I was never capable, I'd never thought was possible for me. And, you know, like like I said, I often say I wouldn't be in school if it wasn't for basketball just because of how much I love the sport. And I often realize those two go hand in hand. So, you know, it's helped me bring maturity to my academics as well. How do you balance that? I've always marveled at those who perform sport at a high level and then also manage to be academic superstars. And and so you, you're a little bit of a comeback story with regard to your academics. So yeah, how did one feed the other? And for those that are listening right now, you know, that are trying to balance the two, they want to be the best they can be on the court, on the ice, in the pool. How do you balance and, and make sure that your academics keep up as well? What you have know, you learned? I definitely, I definitely have a great support system with my academics. You know, 
the biggest advice that I was told from a previous coach of mine was as many hours as you spend in the gym, you have to spend it on your studies. And so kind of mirroring that on both sides and, you know, perfecting my craft on and off the court is very important. Um, and, you know, it did take some trials and tribulations and some errors to happen. But, you know, as long as you're making your way to figure it out and be better, like I still spend hours of my day studying and going over course material. And then I'll go into the gym, spend hours on that. So, you know, it's really a profession, I say, but, um, you know, I love it. So can't complain. And Emily, before we let you go, you mentioned so it was your sister who taught you to play basketball where you learned it from? Yeah. Yeah. My older sister. Are you better than her now? Honestly, I don't know what it is. There's something about playing against your older sister. She she always beats me. I can never figure it out. Really? Yeah, I don't know if it's like a mental thing or if it's just like, you know, I, I never know. But, you know, we'll still play one-on-one nowadays and it'll still get pretty messy. So, Well, that's cool that you can still have that kind of fun relationship with your sis after all these years. Emily, thank you so much for joining us to take some time to share your really wonderful story. We appreciate this. It's inspiring. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Emily Mandeman is a University of Manitoba Bisons basketball star. And again, uh, she joined us under the headline, Basketball Has Saved My Life So Many Times.